nothing but positive energy so far at Missouri camp, but you know what? We got to pair that with some realistic injury expectations for some returning Tigers. Plus, I'm not ready to count Tyler Macon out of the quarterback race just yet. All this and more coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And thanks for making Locked On Mizzou your first listen every day and telling a friend that we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts five days a week here during the season and obviously we got to talk more football and I got to say I've been surprised by just how positive everybody is at fall camp perhaps maybe leading some credence to Eli Drinkwitz comments the other day that this is the best he's felt about a team so far in fall camp even though it doesn't feel like a whole lot of fall weather today does it I'm sure the football players in those black jerseys and helmets would certainly agree with that but I was really taken a bit aback by Dominic Lovett, first of all, the East St. Louis wide receiver who seems to have permanently established himself in the slot receiver position for the Tigers this coming year. Really interesting to just hear his comments about how he thought his true freshman season went last year. Lovett didn't quite get to 200 receiving yards on the season, and also his playing time really started to lesson a lot as the season went along in fact I think in the Arkansas game he only saw three snaps if my memory serves me correctly and yet when asked about that season it was really nice to hear that the two words that really stood out the adjectives that Lovett put out there was outstanding and grateful and basically he was grateful to be out there as a true freshman and thought that the year was outstanding because well quite frankly I'm just paraphrasing him here. Just because you're a four-star recruit, number one, that doesn't mean you're going to see the field as a true freshman, and also it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to succeed either. So I think he says here, and I'll quote him verbatim, I was able to understand from the beginning, coming from high school to college, sometimes the toll road may be a little slower than what it was before, and you can't make it about yourself. So just so, some real wisdom there from, from a young man from East St. Louis. I got to say, I'm, I was a real big fan of his talent, even just going back and looking and analyzing Tyler Macon's highlights in film from college. He and Keontes Lewis, who ended up at, out in the Pac-12, well, they both really stood out on film. So I've been a fan of, of Dominic Lovett as a football player for at least a couple years now, but you know what? I think I'm even bigger fan of him as a young man now too. And I got to say, speaking of Tyler Macon, I'm not ready to count him out of the quarterback race yet. I know I haven't really brought him up this offseason a whole lot in terms of the quarterback race. Well, I'll take the loss there. That's my fault. And it's sort of obvious, though, why. Because the last time the Tigers had an opportunity to play, well, Brady Cook took all the snaps. And if you listen to Tyler Macon this offseason, he says, quote, I was really uncomfortable with the playbook last season, so I worked on the playbook. In other words, that's what he was trying to improve on this offseason. 
By by the way, I thought it was kind of interesting to hear those comments in contrast with sort of the Kyler Murray kerfuffle with the Arizona Cardinals, where the Cardinals apparently put in his enormous contract that, hey, you got to do X amount of hours of film study per week. So I just thought it was interesting to, to sort of see the contrast there. Obviously, nothing wrong with expecting your quarterback to study the playbook and study film, but, you know, felt a little bit like felt a little bit like putting a weight loss clause or a weight limit clause in your prenuptial agreement but that's just me sort of takes a little bit of the magic and romance out of the quarterback coach and organizational relationship but back to Tyler Macon sorry for that digression there for a minute but the thing with Macon is to me I really liked his talent coming out of high school I think Probably what you saw with him is when the first read in high school wasn't open, well, he was able to get outside of the pocket and use his substantial athleticism and arm talent to make some things happen out of the pocket. I think that's one of his strengths still is not only being able to run, but throw on the run. I just thought at times you saw at Missouri, his arm mechanics, his footwork got away from him a little bit, but it seemed like in the spring game, and you don't want to take too much from the black and gold game any year, but to me, I thought we saw a really improved Tyler Macon this past, this past spring of 2022 as compared to last fall. I really thought there was a difference. You still saw one moment where he sort of did the Patrick Mahomes drop my arm angle down thing, which it's good to have that in your toolbox, but to do it unnecessarily in the pocket, especially on a wide receiver screen pass, well, Macon isn't the tallest guy anyway, so he's got to get out of that habit of dropping that arm angle down unless you're actually on the move and trying to throw around a defender in sort of an impromptu moment. Otherwise, if he cleans up those mechanics a little bit and truly is putting his head into the playbook and just hopefully it's starting to click a little bit, I'm telling you, that guy was was an elite 11 quarterback prospect for a reason. The people who saw him in high school weren't completely wrong. There's definitely some there, something there. Will he ultimately end up cashing in on his considerable talents? We'll have to see, but at least as of right now, I can't dismiss Macon. I haven't seen him play football for a few months. I felt like he rapidly improved already in the offseason, Let's see what he looks like in the fall before we just hand the job to somebody else. Also, I think Tyler Macon has at least one thing in common with Brady Cook. Now, on the field, both of those guys can obviously use their legs to their advantage. That's one of their pluses that they both have in common. And I'll also say that Brady Cook really carries himself, by the way, like he's the starter of this football team. I've already seen him make some comments on video in this offseason. And once again, that guy just has a certain quiet confidence about himself that I have to imagine his teammates probably gravitate toward. But again, I digress. I just think, again, off the field, though, the thing that Macon and Cook have in common, I think it would have been really easy for either one of those young men to transfer this offseason. And ultimately, I still think it's more likely than not that one of those guys will transfer in the next year or two. But like I said, they didn't this offseason, and that's really important to me because I like that neither guy is seeding anything yet whatsoever. And why should they? Despite the fact that, yeah, Missouri went kicking around looking for a quarterback, 
clearly they didn't find their their number one choice or even their number two or three choice if you want to get down to Baylor's Gary Bohannon, who spurned the Tigers as well. Well, if you're Tyler Macon and Brady Cook, it's not a guarantee you're going to be a starter anywhere else either unless you go down a level. Well, why would I want to go down a level if I'm Tyler Macon? I've been recruited to the SEC. I'm an Elite 11 player. Good for you for sticking it around. Maybe ultimately it's not going to work out at Missouri. And frankly, if he doesn't see the field a whole lot this year, I'd say he's there's a good chance he might move on. And I'd be okay with that. But for this year, I think it makes all the sense in the world, like Brady Cook, for Tyler to hang around and give it a shot. And speaking of taking a shot, well, why not take a shot on some wagering and have a little bit of fun with our friends over at betonline.net, of course, never bet more than you can afford to lose. I'm like a $10, $20 bet guy, personally. Let's just have some fun and try to prove how brilliant we are. Or not. We're going to have to live with the results, that's for darn sure. But regardless if you're into pro basketball, pro football, NCAA football, I think this is the perfect time of year to start looking at futures bets for football and, yes, basketball as well. In fact, if you look at NBA futures right now at betonline.net, there's some interesting numbers, including the incredibly, in my opinion, overvalued Los Angeles Clippers, who are plus 750 to win the NBA championship. Really? We're that confident in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's health? Do they think Kevin Durant's going there? I can't quite figure that one out. That's the only way that one would make sense to me. But you know what? Just overall... These days, I think the days of an overwhelming NBA title favorite are over. Surprisingly to see the Boston Celtics 4-1 right now. Perhaps they're the favorites for Kevin Durant. Maybe that's what it tells us. But you know what? You can figure out things for yourself and prove just how smart you are. Head to betonline.net today. That's right. It's BetOnline, where the game starts. New Missouri defensive coordinator Blake Baker recently spoke with the media, and he had a couple of comments that shed a little bit of light on his defense that I want to jump off of. First of all, on his system and his base defense, he says his base defense is going to be a four-down attacking system. We're always going to be a one-gap defense, he says. We're always hunting for tackles for loss and ball disruptions. So what does that mean? Hey, maybe we should do a quick gridiron glossary. I've done this one before, but hey, always good to review. And not everybody listens to every episode, believe it or not. Tisk tisk. That's on you. But in all seriousness, a one-gap style defensive line system is a lot more like the, say, the Craig Kuligowski era, when you just had defensive linemen just trying to shoot upfield inside of one gap in the defense that's between either an offensive line either between a couple defensive linemen or if you're on the defensive edge you're going to be going rushing more often than not on the outside shoulder of either a tackle or a tight end so there you go whereas opposed to a two gap player well those are going to be bigger players that are going to try to take up space maybe two offensive linemen hence two gap two guys at the same time and let maybe a linebacker on the back end hopefully clean up that running play, that type of deal. Well, to me, that makes a lot of sense. 
It really does. Number one, whether you favor a one gap or a two gap, we can debate that until the cows come home. But just for this particular roster, for this 2022 collection of Missouri defensive linemen, especially on the interior, I think you almost have to play a one-gap type system because there really aren't any two-gap type players on this roster, at least not in the obvious in the obvious starting positions. That's for darn sure because Darius Robinson has always been a guy who looks absolutely amazing in his uniform, no question about that. But he's like more like 280, 90 pounds of just, you know, pure chiseled man, no doubt about that. But he's not the, you know, 320 pound type nose tackle that you might see in the Southeastern Conference. Jordan Davis for Georgia last season. A lot of you, I'm sure, are familiar with him. There just aren't that many types of, of young man out there, number one. And more often than not, they're going to go to Alabama or Georgia. So if you're Missouri, maybe be a little bit more realistic and realize that, yes, the 320-pound five-star defensive nose tackles are not going to be going to your university. And they certainly don't appear to be on this roster right now. Perhaps Kyron Montgomery will get there someday. He's a guy who's really, really large for his age, no question about it. But I still feel like he's maybe more of a one-gap type player than a two-gap type player. But again, regardless, I think that makes all the sense in the world, especially when Jaden Jernigan, the transfer from Oklahoma State, the former Cowboy, recently checked in at about 265 pounds. Hey, you know, maybe he's going to fill out a little bit more for the season, get up to 280 or so. But again, I have been worried about Missouri getting pushed around at the point of attack. So at the very least, maybe these guys can slither their way in between blocks as opposed to taking them on so much. We'll have to see what happens. I'm a little bit worried, though, by that lack of size on the interior. On the on the defensive ends, you know, Trajan Jeffcoat's a pretty big guy for a, for a defensive end. I think he can hold up, especially against physical tackles and run support okay, but the rest of the defensive line may be a bit of a, bit of a question. Now, the other part of Coach Baker's base defense that he discussed recently was what's called the star position. In other words, one thing I've noticed is Missouri probably, at least in its base defense, of course they can adjust throughout the game and as the season goes along, but instead of having Chris Abrams drain, for instance, like they did last year as your nickel corner, your third cornerback in that nickel defense, well, instead, Missouri going with a third safety. So that means probably Martez Manuel seems like the obvious candidate for that star position. As Baker describes him, kind of a hybrid between a safety and an outside linebacker. One a guy that's physical enough to play in the box, but also capable of playing man-to-man coverage. And I think, you know, that's Martez Manuel in a nutshell, really. Especially, he definitely can play in the box. He enjoys the physical nature of football. You can tell he doesn't mind hitting people whatsoever. But at the same time, playing man-to-man coverage, that's the part that concerns me a little bit, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think Martez can cover tight ends just fine. I just wonder, especially against some of your higher-end opponents, like maybe the Tennessee Volunteers, I worry about the caliber of athlete that Manuel may be forced to cover at times in that slot spot. Because, 
I mean, just look at Missouri. Dominic Lovett's going to be a handful in that slot receiver position. No question about it. So just speed-wise and athleticism-wise, even that would be a, a tough matchup for Manuel in practice. So really, that should give us a pretty good idea of how he can hold up in those spots. Now, obviously, if it's third down and 10, you're not going to ask Martez to do that, but there's going to be a lot of second and threes, second and fives, where you're going to want to play the run a little bit, and perhaps those are the moments where play action fake, you can exploit that matchup just a little bit. So I'm a tiny bit worried about that change, and I'm also worried about, frankly, Missouri's just ability to, to have three safeties on the field at the time. Who that second safety is going to be, Jalen Carlisle was awful good on the back end for the most part last year, but Joseph Charleston, transfer from Clemson, hey, that sounds good on paper. A lot of unproven talent there. So then the depth behind it, I think Jamarian Wayne moving over to that safety spot kind of told us where Missouri thinks its depth is. So a lot of questions still there to be answered as how that defense is going to shake out, but especially to me that third safety spot and the depth behind it, a real question. And speaking of questions, I do just want to address one thing. I brought up Kyron Montgomery earlier, a real talent there on the interior defensive line, but a guy who's coming off a significant injury last season, I believe it was an ACL tear. I, I could be wrong there, but he suffered that pretty early in fall camp. And, you know, these days, sometimes guys can come back within nine months of tearing their ACL, and Ennis Rakestraw is about probably nine, ten months out from his injury as well. And I've seen some, I saw some people on YouTube come back at me and say, "Well, hey, what what are you worried about? Ennis Rakestraw is fully cleared." Well, that's where I want to pump the brakes and just say that there's a big difference between being a full go and being fully cleared to practice and being back to full performance because not only is there a physical a physical thing there's also a mental barrier that has to be broken through as well once you've had that kind of injury maybe especially for the first time in your young life well it's going to take you a while to maybe trust that knee again and obviously it's going to take some guys longer than others I just don't want us to put undue pressure on any of these guys who are coming back from injuries that used to be often career enders just two, three decades ago. And coming up in our last segment here on Locked on Mizzou, I actually want to get a bit off topic. I feel like it's worth it for a couple sports legends that have recently passed. But first, these quick messages. Well, what can I say about Bill Russell and Vin Scully that hasn't already been said? Well, I just realized something, frankly, when it comes to Bill Russell, I'll start with the great former Boston Celtic who unfortunately left us in the last couple days. I'm not sure that I would be as big of a basketball fan as I am if it weren't for Bill Russell, and that may sound bizarre considering that I was born several, several, several years after Mr. Russell had hung up his Converse All-Stars for the last time. But the reason I love this game and I love sports so much, at least in large part, is because of my dad. I mean, my dad and I go to these games together, about 90% of them these days, unless something comes up to this day. Mizzou football, Mizzou basketball, and just not only Mizzou, but just sports in general. You see, my dad grew up in Kansas City, 
Missouri, born in the late 40s. And when you were growing up in those days, there wasn't a lot of NBA basketball on television. But when it was on TV, maybe once a week or so during the spring on national television, well, guess who was on? More often than not, it was the Boston Celtics. Kansas City didn't have a team at that time. The Kings were several years off, of course. And my dad, understandably, fell in love with this guy who was just completely unlike anybody else at the time and perhaps anybody else who's really come before him. I just want to say that anybody who dismisses Bill Russell as one of the greats of all time because... When you go back and watch those games, it really does feel like a completely different sport. But watch a little bit closer and realize that, in fact, while yes, basketball back then really does feel like a different sport, you can see quite clearly that Bill Russell is playing the modern game of NBA basketball. He is one of the people that grabbed this game by the throat and took it up to another level of athleticism, of entertainment, and the whole thing. And and the tragedy is, you know, the NBA never got that popular under Russell. And at times, obviously, people in his own town of Boston, his his home pro professional squad anyways, well, anyway, excuse me, were obviously horrible to him, to say the least. And, and that's that's really tough. But it, by the end of his life, it was obvious that he was considered just an absolute legend and treated so well by everybody. So I, I think that actually is a good sign for where our society has come in a lot of ways. For as much as we beat ourselves up about how we do have a long ways to go in so many ways just as human beings, not any specific topic, but on all the topics, I do think Bill Russell, you look at his life and how he led it and how people treated him when he was in his prime versus later in his life, well, I think that's actually it's actually a credit to our culture and how we have improved in many ways. And finally, there's Vin Scully, who was announced he passed away. News broke just last night, in fact. Well, I just happened to have the MLB network on. Bob Costas came on the air and, and gave some some really great context on Vin Scully and his incredible life. I'll just say is somebody who's been a broadcaster now on on some level for the past few years, you just watch Vin Scully in awe. You just listen to the guy. And, you know, he's one reason why, at first, I'll be honest with you, I'm a big fan of the theater of the mind, the actual audio aspect of, of podcasting, of broadcasting, of radio, whatever you want to call it. To me, If you're going to have a visual show, there should be a really good reason for it. It shouldn't just be a guy with a camera in his face and a microphone. And yet, that's exactly what my show is if you watch it on YouTube. Now, business-wise, hey, brilliant decision. Thank you, Locked On, for that. When they forced me to do it, I I push back a little bit. But again, the reason I push back is because I have such respect for people like Vin Scully who can really create that theater of the mind And it's what makes baseball such a fun thing to consume, especially without the visuals. Vin Scully was not only an expert at at making baseball come to life, but the men who played this game come to life. And as Rich Eisen tweeted out of the NFL Network, nobody utilized the pace of a baseball broadcast to spin a yarn quite like Scully. And they are this... 
this little quick story is a perfect example of how Vin Scully, because he was all by himself, because he had complete command and control of the broadcast, could take moments and pauses in between pitches to tell you incredible stories like this one about former Kansas City Royal and at this time Atlanta Brave Johnny Gomes. Let's hear one last time, at least on this podcast, from the great Vin Scully. Johnny, to make the understatement of the day, has had a very tough life. We can give you maybe one or two stories. We don't want to get into too much of the privacy area. Let's start when he was 12. He was doing work on his grandmother's house, and a hired hand showed up with a wolf on a leash. Here's the 2-0 pitch, 2-1-1. Anyway, Johnny loved dogs. He had never owned one, though he had no idea about how serious a wolf might be. So he walked up to the wolf and the man hollered at him, no, it's a real wolf, don't pet it. The 2-1 pitch in, yeah, well, the man ties up the wolf, goes around the corner to mend the fence, and Johnny goes back to the wolf, saying something like, oh, I'll talk to him, and it'll be great. And the wolf attacks him, has knocked him down on his chest, just about ready to devour him. 2-2 pitch, check swing, no swing, ball three. Johnny suddenly, totally and completely relaxed. He was done. He knew it. And whatever he did by relaxing, the wolf decided, uh-huh, I don't have a rival here. And the wolf got off his chest. Johnny got up and walked away. Round ball by the diving Turner. And the base hit by Johnny Gomes. So a one-out single left by the wolf man. Ah, yes, the Wolfman with a perfectly timed single, and wouldn't you know it, that's how it always seemed to go for Vin Scully, a guy with just impeccable timing, always knew to finish up that sentence and then go, and there's the 0-2 pitch, just masterful. I I don't think we're ever going to see another one like him, and plus, did you get to know Johnny Gomes there just a little bit or what? Did Did you feel like that was more interesting than hearing about his batting average on balls in play or his OPS plus or any of these other statistics that baseball has seemingly, baseball broadcasts in particular, I should say, have seemingly gotten mired in the last few seasons. Well, to me, while all that stuff is all well and good if you're trying to win games, when it comes to actual broadcasting and making the game interesting for your average fan, well, we could all sure learn a lot from the late, great Vin Scully. So you know what? Thank you all for indulging those thoughts there here at the end of this show. I know they weren't Mizzou-related, but what the heck? It's my show, and it's the last segment. So also, I got a lot of these to do. What can I say? But no, in all seriousness, I just thought I would have been remiss to not acknowledge a couple of incredible sports figures there that really changed both of their sports without question. So with all that being said, hey, thanks for making this your first listen. As always, please check out Locked On SEC. Make that your second listen. Chris Gordy and your local experts of Locked On 
Take you across the Southeastern Conference in 30 minutes or less. Alyssa Lang, yes, ESPN's very own, was just recently on with Chris. Alyssa's a really good time, so take a listen to that. Again, make Locked On your SEC your second listen. That's Locked On SEC. So, until next time, I'm John Miller, and thank you so much for listening to Locked on Mizzou. Mizzou.